0: been looking forward to sharing with you all this morning. I don't know if you've been thinking about the message this morning or not, but um, Sabbath is one of those uh, topics that we find a lot of variation among believers. Um, A lot of it has to do with uh, what our background is, what we, how the Sabbath is observed in our homes, what we grew up with, what we've heard and not heard, But this morning, I want to continue to follow the pattern that I'm hoping I can encourage all of us to develop, and that is a proper process of biblical interpretation and application. And so before we jump into the uh, looking at the Sabbath, um, I just want to repeat a few things that I'm hoping you'll hear often enough in this series that it will it'll stick, that sticky part of your brain, you know, that, that place there where the Velcro is. But it'll stick, and, and you'll be able to use it. The task that we find ourselves facing as believers is to faithfully and correctly identify spiritual truth found in Scripture. All of us this morning would agree and would affirm that God's Word is eternal, amen? That it does not change, and it will abide forever. And that scripture reflects the heart of God. Scripture means what it meant when it was written. Scripture, we cannot rather make scripture mean something today that it didn't mean then. Nor can we make scripture not mean today what it meant when it was written. And so bringing that truth forward then to our time and meaningfully applying it in a way that honors God is a task that is before us. And that is not an easy task. In fact, it's so difficult that many believers refuse to embrace it. And we merely look around. What do they do? What does he do? What does she do? And that's how we determine how we're going to respond to Scripture. Listen my brothers and sisters, one day all of us are going to be held to account for how we have responded to this book and to the truth that is in it. We are not going to be able at that day to offer any type of excuses like, well, that's what my parents taught me. That's what I always heard. That's what my church said. That's what my friends did. None of those things are going to carry any weight. You see, Scripture demands personal obedience. How are we saved? Collectively? How do we respond to Christ for salvation? As a group? No. Individually. God has no grandchildren. So even in your family because your parents are faithful followers of Christ, does not guarantee you any standing with Christ. God only has children, not grandchildren. So while it is valuable for fellowships of believers to be responding to Scripture, we are accountable personally, individually. And so even though it's very convenient to gravitate toward spiritual guidance from parents and family and friends and and school and even our church, we need to remember that we are personally responsible to our response to this truth of Scripture. So when we think then about not only identifying Scriptural truth, but how then we make personal application, I want to say again, from my observation, I think there are more mistakes made in the area of application of Scripture than in the task of interpreting Scripture. Many believers are good hearers or readers of Scripture. We looked at James 1.22 the other Sunday morning. Our mind' primary problem is not that we need to know more Scripture, but we need to obey more Scripture. We need to be more doers of the Word. You see, we hear the truth presented to us, whether it's from our parents, in our school, in our church, among our friends. We hear it, but so often we walk right away from that conversation or walk right away from church, and very little meaningful change happens in our lives. You see, we're not often in as much need of more understanding of scriptural truth as we are in need of action. We tend to be people of many preferences and few convictions. And when we are primary people of preference rather than conviction, what we often find is our walk does not match our talk. All of us know well what we've been taught. All of us know well how other believers practice obedience to Scripture, but far too often our fear of being different from others causes us to compromise sometimes even our conscience. So let me ask you a few questions before we look at the Sabbath this morning. Have you made up your mind about your obedience to Scripture regarding moral and ethical issues that are addressed Scripture. Have you made up your mind that regardless of what others do, regardless of the consequences, you don't compromise? You see, God is not looking for influential people who he can make more faithful. God is looking for faithful people who he can make influential. And I'm convinced that until you and I allow God to move us out of the convenience of preference and into the sacrifice of conviction, that we miss out on fulfilling God's plan for our life. You can say, well, Dave, what am I missing out on? I don't know what you're missing out on. The biblical character Daniel and his three friends didn't know what, they, what the rest of their life was going to look like either. They had no idea how God was going to use them when they were determined to obey their conviction, regardless of the consequence. Listen, you and I have no idea what God wants to do with our lives. But I assure you that the moment that we compromise, the moment we begin to rationalize what God has said, just like Eve did, The moment we choose to be men and women of preference rather than conviction, we place into question what God may have planned for our lives. Remember, preference is oriented toward convenience and approval of others. Conviction is oriented toward sacrifice. So what happens to us spiritually when we choose to live by preference rather than by conviction? When that happens, the meaningful application of scriptural truth in our lives will not survive the absence of the dictates of those in authority or the lack of approval of friends and family. Listen, the spiritual landscape about us is littered with believers seeking God's blessing while no longer being obedient to scriptural truths that they once held to the consequences are often devastating. Let me give you one final example, and then we'll jump into the Sabbath. You men can all identify with this, and I think you women can somewhat too. 30, 40, 50 years ago, when I was first starting, had my first car, one of the things that stressed upon me was the importance of changing the oil. Okay? And at that point, what I was taught was every 1,000 miles, I should maybe look at my oil. I had an old car. You check out oil. And certainly by 3,000 miles, somewhere in that one to three, I needed to change the oil. Well, what has happened since that time? We now have synthetic oils. We have newer vehicles. I look at manuals now that talk about not changing oil till... 4,000, sometimes 5,000. I've even seen recommendations as high as 7,000 miles to change your oil. Wide variation. Well, you know what starts happening when there's a wide variation like that? All of a sudden, the importance of changing oil is not as important anymore. And what happens if you do not change the oil in your vehicle? Just drive it. What's eventually going to happen? That engine it's going to be ruined. So what's the point I'm making? I'm saying it's not so critical which application you choose. Is it 1,000 miles? Is it 3,000 miles? Is it 5,000 miles? But what happens when you throw out the principle of change in oil? And that is what is happening in many believers' lives today. There's such a confusion and division over application that we just totally dismiss scriptural truth. We're going to be looking this morning to celebrating the Sabbath. And I can imagine if we had time and we go around our audience, I can look at the demographics, I can look at the age difference from saying Jim's probably the oldest here down to the youngest. We have a wide range of things we have been taught and understood about the Sabbath. What is right to do, what is wrong to do, when to do, how to do, what to do. But what's more critical, and I hope you're going to see this, in how we observe the Sabbath is that there are many believers today who don't observe the Sabbath at all. Why? Because there is no one dictate. Now there was in the Old Testament, but there's not in the New. So, This morning, just as we've looked at some other issues, and we're going to be looking at more in the future, I hope we can get into a habit of how do we approach Scripture? How do we identify scriptural truth? How do we find that necessary application that we can call all believers to? And then, where is the freedom of our personal application? And why, how important it is that we accept that. We can honor God with our obedience to scriptural truth with a variety of application. Okay? It doesn't have to all look exactly the same. Unity is not found in uniformity. God is not a God of uniformity. Look out at the landscape today as trees are starting to blend, flowers are blooming. Look at this display up here. The beauty in that floral display is in the diversity, not in the uniformity. And so it is in the body of Christ. Well, open your Bible this morning. We're going to go to an Old Testament. We're going to go Deuteronomy chapter 5. There are various places I could turn this morning. Verses 12 to 15, just four verses. One of the first questions that we men ask each other when we first meet is, what do you do for work? And it's only after we exchange those answers and often we talk about the demands of my job and that maybe we'll get around to saying to one another, Scott, what, what do you do for, for in your spare time? And you know the, the answer I hear most commonly when I ask another man that? Spare time. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't have any spare time. That's sad for us today. It really is. That is sad, but it's so often true. And, and even our children are watching that and picking up on that. A fellow I asked a little girl, he said, what are you going to do, what are you going to be when you grow up? She said, I think I'm going to be tired. Where'd she pick that up? That's a very observant little girl. A lot of grown-ups are tired. Some of us have somehow brought, bought the lie that if we go through life at a breakneck speed, nonstop pace, somehow that makes us more effective. But sometimes our exhaustion makes us actually more dangerous. Three of the most notorious industrial accidents of the last couple years happened in the middle of the night the Exxon Valdez. Three Mile Island, and Chernobyl. And some of you that were born, (laughs) that are at least 40 years old, remember the Challenger spacecraft. Do you realize that the NASA officials that made that fateful decision to launch that morning had worked nonstop for 20 hours? And had only had two to three hours sleep the night before that. The decision they made that day cost the lives of seven astronauts. You see, perhaps the greatest danger, though, of living life at that pace and with no spare time is the harm that we do to our souls. We might ask the question this morning, can busyness actually be a type of idolatry? I don't think many believers recognize the deep threat to the health of their souls that busyness possess, poses. So, what's the answer to that generational problem? You can look at any generation. It's a problem. There's always more to do than there is time to do it. How can we regularly find meaningful rest for our bodies and for our souls to renew? To recalibrate, to refocus, to rejuvenate. Well, may I suggest this morning, we obey what God has commanded. We observe the Sabbath. Notice me, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. We find this in the list of the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor any stranger that is in thy gates, nor thy manservant, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Well, let's remember the task this morning. We have a scriptural command. Our task this morning is to interpret truth. To understand the heart of God, His character, to identify then is there a necessary application here for all believers? Is there something that we can say, this carries the weight of thus saith the Lord? And then to make a personal application of scriptural truth in our lives in a meaningful way that honors God. Well, there are three questions I want us to look at in relation to this this morning. First one is, what does the command mean? The second is, why was the command given? And the third question, how shall we obey the command today? Well, what does the command mean? Well, it means the same thing it meant the day it was written. It means to observe, to guard, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Exodus 31, we find there the record. The scripture says, the Sabbath is holy to the Lord. You see, God made the Sabbath holy. Notice this text, we are to keep it holy. Now what does it mean for something to be holy? It's different. It's special. It's unique. It's set aside for worship. God made the Sabbath that way. We are to keep the Sabbath that way. Those of you that are married, especially you husbands, you know how important wedding anniversaries are, right? Is it good enough to just come in that evening from work and say, oh, darling, yeah, I remember, today was our anniversary. Is that good enough? I don't think so. I see a few start and smiles on the wives' faces. No, it it takes more effort. It takes different action for that day. It takes some decisions, some activities, some expenditures, maybe even a weekend away. If we're going to make the anniversary special, if we're going to keep it, it takes some effort. It's not just acknowledging in our head, oh, yeah, today's my anniversary. No, it, it takes more than that. In the same way, the Sabbath is to be treated with special care and significance. Well, how does the Scripture say we're to do that? Well, it's pretty clear. The first thing is, stop working. What does Sabbath mean? Sabbath doesn't mean the Sabbath day. What does Sabbath mean? Sabbath means to cease, to stop. That's what Sabbath means. And the command we find in verse 14 was was not just for a Jewish man who was hearing this, but for every one that was under his authority. For his children, his family, his servants, even his animals. It was to extend. The Israelites were not to work, nor were they to make others under their authority work either. Now, this was not an entirely new concept for the Israelites. Because on their way to Mount Sinai, where they received this command, they received manna. Remember the story of how they received manna? Six days they received manna. But Moses said, don't go out on the seventh day to to gather manna. Why? It's not there. It's not there on the seventh day. That was an example that God was giving to them. So, you see, God was demonstrating to them and to us, the importance of stopping, of ceasing. Well, first way that we find in Scripture we're to observe Sabbath is is ceasing from our regular routine, our regular work. The second is it's a day dedicated for worship. Leviticus 23, the passage there, calls the Sabbath day a holy convocation. It's a day for God's people to gather for worship. I like what Eugene Peterson has said about the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is an uncluttered time and space for us to distant ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God is doing. Well, the second question this morning we wanted to look at is, why was the command given? And when we ask the question why a scriptural command is given, it really helps us understand the heart of God. Remember, the why is always more important than the what. Why did God give his people this commandment? Well, first of all, God himself instituted the Sabbath long before there were Israelites. After the six days of creation, he rested. Now, I went back and looked in Genesis, and in the King James, you don't find in Genesis 2, you don't find Sabbath mentioned. It's he rested. That's what Sabbath is. We sometimes confuse the two. But that's what Sabbath means. So God himself took a Sabbath. In Exodus 20, verse 11, we find these words, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know, a teacher was quizzing her preschool class about the creation and was going over the six days and the Sabbath and and the teacher said to the The little kids, well, what do you think God did on the Sabbath, on the seventh day? And one little girl raised her hand and said, I think he mowed the yard. Well, that might be what her daddy does, but that's not what God did. God didn't mow the yard on the seventh day. Now, notice God did not rest because he needed physical rest. God chose rest, for example, for us. And notice this took place before the fall. This had nothing to do with sin. The Sabbath was a part of the paradise that Adam and Eve enjoyed. The Sabbath came before the Israelites. The Sabbath isn't something that just refers to the Jews. It's as if God built into the very fabric of time this rhythm of work, rest, work, rest, rest. And each one of us has that built into our fabric, whether we know it or not. And if we don't observe it, our lives will go sour. Now, we all know the rhythm of work and sleep, don't we? We understand that. And if you know if you go without sleep fairly long, you really pay a price for that. Well, we all have to sleep. We know that. Unfortunately... We don't all have to observe Sabbath. Nowhere in Scripture we find commanded, "Thou shalt sleep." That, that, that's going to happen. But we are do find a command, "Thou shalt observe a Sabbath." That had to be commanded, because left to our own, we will not do that. Well, the second reason for giving the command is found in verse 15. The Israelites were to remember that when they were in Egypt, they had no Sabbath. They had no rest. It was constant work as slaves. And God wanted them to remember that he in delivering them gave them a Sabbath, a rest, lest they would ever be tempted to do the same thing to their servants. They were to keep the Sabbath. Israel was to show mercy to others as God had shown to them. You see the Sabbath reminds us that people are more than machines. people are more than units of production. We are called to be human beings, not human doings. We are beings and the Sabbath protects people from being reduced to mere machines. You know following the French Revolution, I was reading the French decided to to observe a Sabbath of one day in ten instead of one day in seven. And it was a catastrophe. Historians recall men and women collapsed and animals fell in the streets. We're not designed for that. God knows people need the Sabbath because we're people, we're not machines. So, what is the truth then with regard to the Sabbath? What is the heart of God? God created man to be a being, not a machine, with a need for a Sabbath or rest. And God established that frequency one day in seven. God demonstrated that Sabbath to man. And man needs that Sabbath to recalibrate, to refocus, to restore our soul. That's the scriptural truth that we find in Scripture. Now, the third question, last one this morning, is how do we keep the command today? How do we take that truth from thousands of years ago that's eternal, that we're called to respond to, we're called to obey, how do we bring that to our day and time and honor the truth of that and find meaningful ways to apply it that are honoring to God well in this situation and many times with Old Testament commands the best place to look is to look at how Jesus observed he is our model he is one with God he is one with the word So there's no better place to start this morning answering that question than to look in the New Testament to reflect on what Jesus and the early church taught about the Sabbath. You see, nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to keep the Sabbath. Perhaps it'd be easier to answer this question if we were. We could just turn in the New Testament and say, just like we did in the Old Testament, right here it is, tells us what day, what to do, what not to do. Let's go home. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Just recall your attention to a few things. First of all, we see Jesus led His disciples in practicing the Sabbath, but with a whole new understanding of it. In Luke 4, we men are studying Luke 4 in our Sunday school class. A couple Sundays ago, verse 16 says, And He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and as was His custom, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Jesus was in the habit of observing one of the reasons for the Sabbath, and that was worship. The need to gather with others for worship. And as we look through the Gospels, we find that Jesus had a different understanding of the Sabbath than the experts of the law of that day. Luke 6 records Jesus and his disciples leaving the synagogue and walking through a field of grain and being hungry, they plucked the heads and ate the grain. The Pharisees observed that activity and were very distraught. They had established 39 rules about the Sabbath that if you observed all those would keep you from breaking a sweat on the Sabbath. And Jesus' final response to their accusation and condemnation was this. The Sabbath, or rest, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2, 27. Another time Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. Again, his response to the accusers was, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, Matthew 12, 11 and 12. You see, the Pharisees had put so many restrictions on the Sabbath that the Sabbath ended up being a burden rather than a rest. Rather than fulfilling God's intent for the Sabbath to give rest and spiritual refreshment, the Pharisaical rules had made it a form of slavery. In their desire to protect the Sabbath, they corrupted it. Remember last year when we were looking at the Pharisees? They did so many right things for the wrong reason and did wrong things for the right reason. And here's an example of doing wrong things for the right truth. But they did the wrong thing. The reason was right, but the wrong thing they did. They came up with all these regulations. Jesus did not abolish the Sabbath. Jesus did not abolish what God instituted, the importance of a rest. Jesus restored it to its true meaning as a day of rest or stopping, a day of worship and a day of mercy, doing good. Well, when we look at the practice of the early church in the book of Acts, there's something else that's significant in the New Testament. And regarding their Sabbath observance. Now, these early believers had grown up observing the Jewish seventh day as a Sabbath. That was the day they were used to keeping. But after Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week, we find them gathering on the first day of the week on Sunday. And that's why Paul wrote, as we looked last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 16, too, he said, on the first day of the week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper to give. Well, the reason he said that was because that was the day that they were gathering. They were gathering on the Lord's Day. And finally, in Revelation 1:10, John says, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, John doesn't say was that Tuesday or Wednesday, but I think we have good reason to believe it was Sunday. So even for the New Testament believers, even for them, there was one day in seven that they set aside as being uniquely for the Lord. Now, here's where we have to be careful. This doesn't mean that the New Testament saints just observed the Jewish Sabbath on Sunday instead of Saturday. No, they did not. As a matter of record, Paul reprimands the church in Colossae for keeping a Sabbath burdened with rules. Colossians 2 verse 16, he says, Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day things that are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the body is of Christ. What does Paul mean, but the body is of Christ? You see, the Sabbath looked forward to Christ. Jesus didn't abolish the Sabbath. He fulfilled the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about ceasing from our work and resting. And that's true in a physical sense. But listen, it's also true in a spiritual sense. Before the gospel, men labored to keep the law to be in right relationship with God. But now Christ has fulfilled the law. He's met his demands. Christ's death and resurrection frees us or gives us a Sabbath from having to work to earn his love and favor we can rest completely in him and his work on the cross for our righteousness. That truly is a Sabbath. Hebrews 4.10 says this, For he, Jesus, that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Sounds like Sabbath to me. What do you think? When we place our faith in Christ's redemptive work for us, we have rest from our works to save us. You see, in a spiritual sense, we enjoy Sabbath rest seven days a week. As those under the lordship of Christ rather than the law, we're free from the rigid restrictions of the Sabbath to earn favor with God. But we don't ignore the heart of God in instituting the Sabbath. Under the New Testament covenant, the Sabbath is still a day for rest, a day for worship, and a day for showing mercy. So herein lies the necessary application for all believers. Every believer is called to respond to this truth, for this truth will never pass away. Well, to wrap up this morning, to follow our pattern we've been looking at, what then are likely, possible, unlikely, or impossible applications of this truth in a believer's life today? Well, let's look at the three purposes for the Sabbath in reverse order, and then we'll talk about some possible applications. I said the scripture clearly says that the purposes for the Sabbath are for rest, ceasing from work, worship, and doing good, showing mercy. Let's look at them in reverse order. A day to show mercy. That's what Jesus did. You see, the Sabbath is a great opportunity for you and me to welcome a hurting person into our home. It's a great day to visit someone in the hospital. It's a great day to go visit someone and express concern and help for a need they have in their home, to feed someone who is hungry, to clothe someone, to provide a place for the stranger. It's a day to minister to others, not just to find my own pleasure. And for some of us, that mercy begins with how we run our business. Employees know what it's like to work seven days a week or to feel like you're working seven days a week, no matter how much you're getting paid. You begin to feel like a machine, like one of the vehicles, like one of the the tires, a unit of production rather than being recognized by your employer as a human being. And so as an employer, you have to recognize that your employees are more than machines, They're more than human doings. They are human beings. And one of the ways that you can show mercy is to observe the Sabbath in their work as a day of mercy. All of us know of Chick-fil-A, a company who still to this day is not open on Sunday. They have no doubt passed up millions of dollars of profit but they're found to recognize that my employees need a day for rest and worship and a day to show mercy. Well, second, it's a day of, wor- of worship. Sabbath is a day of worship, a day for a holy convocation, a day uniquely blessed for the refreshments of God's people as they gather together for, to worship Him and to hear His word. And so this is why it is wrong to simply view the Sabbath as a day off. A day off is a a secularized Sabbath. The goal of a day off is leisure, fun, vacation, play. And isn't it interesting that we live in a time and culture, unlike when this was written, that is obsessed with leisure and recreation. And yet, as I started out this message this morning, few people are rested. We actually have a very profitable leisure industry. And yet we have more exhaustion, more fatigue, more mental breakdown today than ever in the history of our country. Perhaps we have lost a biblical view of rest. A rest that includes a recognition and appreciation of God and what he's doing in our lives. But see, that includes a spirit of rejuvenation that only comes in the worship of God and fellowship with his people. The Lord's Day is indeed a day to meet together with the people of God. We need a weekly rhythm. We need to have a discipline in our lives that takes us away from our independence and brings us together to worship together. Whether it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday... The day that it is is not the important thing. So it's a day to show mercy. It's a day of worship. And finally, it is a day of rest. We need a day to catch our breath. We need a day to not go to work. if your work is home as a housewife, you need a day to have a break from the grind of the other six days. If your work is as a student, you need a day to rest from endless projects and books to read and papers to write. Whatever your work is, you need to be able to stop it, set it aside, and relax. So instead of working, do things that refuel your body, your mind, your relationships, and your soul. If you like to ride your bike, go ride your bike. If you like to hike, go for a long one. If you like to read a book, read a big one. It's not doing nothing, but set your regular routine aside to refuel, to rejuvenate. J.I. Packer said, choose the leisure activities that bring you closest to God, to people, to beauty, and to all that ennobles. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a time to say, I'm a human being, not just a human doing. I'm more than my work. Now, it takes faith to do that. It's take faith to say, you know, I, if I didn't observe Sabbath today, I could get all this work done, and, and so I'm going to have to trust God that somehow that work's going to get done. Well, God will see to that. Clearly from the New Testament example of Jesus' actions on the Sabbath and his condemnation of the Pharisees' legislature of 39 rules, the Sabbath is a day for rest, for worship, for mercy. And just as clearly from the New Testament teacher of the apostles, Saturday is not the only day that can happen. The Lord's Day or any of the other five. You see, the observance of days, the what, is not to become a point of contention and judgment among believers. That's what divides the body of Christ. That's what caused us to speak disparagingly of other believers. So what are likely, possible, unlikely, and impossible applications? Well, I'll just throw out a few. A likely application is let's observe the Sabbath like the early church did on Sunday. That's the way our society is organized workwise in general, and that was the New Testament early church example. And there's nothing wrong with that. Probably that's the most common of us that are observed here today. And, and that is okay. Another possible application would be that we would observe that way, but it would be one of the other days of the week, maybe even Saturday. That does not conflict with the scriptural truth. And you can be just as honoring to God and obedient to that scripture observing. Friday with a group of believers as Saturday or Sunday? Well, what might be an unlikely application? That it has to be on Saturday or it has to be on Sunday. Just because we find a description in Scripture that that's the way it was done. But there's nothing wrong with observing on a particular day. You see, none of those applications violates the scriptural truth and the necessary application of a weekly observing of Sabbath, a day for rest, worship, and showing mercy. Believers can honor scriptural truth and bring glory to God by any of those three that I mentioned. Well, what might be an impossible application, a wrong application? That the Old Testament Sabbath observance on the seventh day of the week is the only way. That's impossible. Jesus' example in the teaching of the New Testament conflicts against that. Now notice, I haven't this morning banned any activity for you on the Sabbath, have I? See, that's where we get in trouble. I have no thus saith the Lord authority to do so. What I want to challenge you is you need to embrace the truth of Scripture and establish a conviction in your heart regarding your obedience of that truth. You need to ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance as you choose applications to your daily life. Applications that are meaningful, that provide a Sabbath for you, that are honoring to God, and that counter the impact of human depravity which is our selfishness. My time. And then I remind you, you need to submit to the authorities in your life, be it your parents, be it your school, be it your employer, be it your church. If what they ask of you does not conflict with the truth of Scripture, you need to submit to that. But you have no basis to speak disparagingly or discriminatory of another believer who observes the Sabbath obediently but does it differently than what you do. Well, let me conclude with a story that was told of a man who was approached by a beggar. And the beggar was holding his hands out. He had nothing. And the man reached in his pocket and he found seven dollar bills. And he took six of them and gave them to the beggar and said, Here, sir, here's... You can have these six and put the other one in his pocket. And the beggar rose up and knocked the man over and grabbed that other dollar from him. What would we say about that beggar? We wouldn't speak very clear, favorably about him, would we? How different is that when God has given us six days out of seven and we grab the other and say, no, I want all seven of them. Scripture speaks, we need to identify truth and have conviction that no matter what anyone else may do, I will be obedient to Scripture. Because one day, I will be accountable by myself before God for Scripture. But how I apply that, allow God's Spirit to guide you. And you may find different times in your life that application may change. Allow God's Spirit to bring that truth to your life in a meaningful, God-honoring way. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, we're challenged with the truth of your Word. And I pray that your Spirit will sanctify that truth through our hearts. That we will be children of yours who desire to obey you. Not To earn your love. But to show our love for you. Empower us, Father. Give us the courage. Help us to be steadfast, to be faithful followers of yours. In Christ's name.